When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Funny, Noel's listening to the programme. Noel says, watching BBC Two last night, Frank, I heard you commentating on minor football from back in the 1990s. Yes, this was a programme, wasn't it? The programme was presented in Irish, wasn't it, if, if I'm right? Uh, it's just the one because uh, another friend of mine, Bill, was mentioning it as well. It was the history of Tyrone football. And it was on BBC Two last night. And back in the day, back in the 1990s, I was the commentator for the Ulster Minor Championship. And they featured a lot of that in this programme as they told the story of how that great Tyrone team marshalled by Mickey Hart grew through their teenage years to become seniors and to become uh, All-Ireland winners and all of that. Yeah, very nice to be very nice to be included. Right, uh, on the subject of sport let me speak to Michael Clark. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Michael, I'm feeling in good form this morning. I'm looking at blue all around me here on the back of nearly every newspaper I can see. Uh, For a moment, I worried. My heart sort of stopped when your big man Murray headed a goal for Brighton. But uh, within a minute, City were back level. And after that, they looked comfortable. Sigh of relief, yes. But to get 97 points and come second, you have to have unbridled respect for Liverpool as well. Is that well summed up, Michael? Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. And Jurgen Klopp, in his post-match press conference, said we knew we'd have to be close to perfect to have a chance of winning the league. And my goodness, they were close to perfect, weren't they? Only one defeat all season. And that defeat against Manchester City, the thing that stopped them reaching 100 points, stopped them becoming an invincible team like Arsenal were, and stopped them winning the league title. And that is the fine margins that, you know, after an entire season, one match defined everything. And that, unfortunately for Liverpool fans, they're waking up this morning and the Premier League title still is something um, that they haven't been able to get their hands on. And considering the how good that team was this year, it is the best Liverpool team of my lifetime, certainly. I mean, I'm 29, so some of your listeners might remember some superb Liverpool teams of the past. But in terms of the Premier League years and in, in terms of my life, this is without question their greatest side. And I know they've still got the Champions League final around the corner, but... Um, Uh, disappointing in some ways but there's so much to be proud uh, proud of also 
Michael, you are but a child, let me emphasise to you when you make <laughs> reference there to Liverpool because I, I agree with you, it's by far the best Liverpool side that they've had in, in your lifetime. But when you go back, when you go back to the teams of of, of Bill Shankly and Bob Paisley and yeah. think about the, the Kenny Douglas and the Mark Lawrensons and the Graham Souness and those players playing, Liverpool were absolutely sensational. And that's why they've got so many fans because kids do fall in with a team that's doing well. You, you, when you're seven years old, you pick a team that's winning. A lot of seven-year-olds now choose Man City and will be Man City fans for the rest of their, their lives. And a lot of new seven- and eight-year-olds will also choose Liverpool. But for quite a few years there, the kids were, understandably, wanting to be Man United fans. But when you go back to the 1970s, thousands of children wanted to be Liverpool fans. And that's why when they talk about the cup and the great the great European nights and the great memories of success, you, you're, you're comparing that to back in the days of Tommy Smith, back in the days of Ray Clemens. Those days when I was growing up and thinking, Jeepers, that our Liverpool team's pretty good, actually. Very, very good <laughs> in, indeed. They, I think it's now... I think that's the I think challenge now, yeah, Frank. Correct, it? correct. They're, they're now matching that again. Yeah, and that, that's where, you know, if you're Jurgen Klopp, the, the sentimentality is nice. But you, you have to try and achieve something yourself. And he got to the Champions League final last year and was beaten by a very good Real Madrid side. They've pushed Manchester City all the way. And look, Man City's achievement shouldn't be uh, missed out here too. They're the first team in a decade to retain the Premier League title. That's how hard it is. Uh, it's funny because I hear people say about you know what leagues are competitive around the world and oh, Man City run away with this and run away with that. Well, clearly not when you know okay these last two years they've won the league but look at how hard they've had to work to do it uh, this Man City team are one of the most special sides the Premier League's ever seen and Liverpool nearly pipped them so Jurgen Klopp's clearly doing something right it's just unfortunately for him and, and for Liverpool fans today it, they, they just couldn't quite get there but the signs are they're getting a darn sight closer than a few years ago they are amazing and I think it's going to be between City and Liverpool for a few years to come. I'm not sure who's going to really challenge them. Spurs possibly, if Spurs do decide to spend some extra money and you, you have to admire Pochettino for what he's achieved with Spurs on the budget that he's been, been working with. But the big problem in terms of analysing football lies with the future of Manchester United, the most supported club in the world and certainly the club with the greatest fan base in Northern Ireland. 19 points behind City last year, 32 points behind City this year. How is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer going to be able to turn that round? How is he going to attract top players to Manchester United, albeit the brand is massive, Manchester United. But how does he attract top players to himself and the Europa League when he's competing with Pep Guardiola and the Champions League, Jurgen Klopp and the Champions League, Zine Zidane and the Champions League, so on and so forth? Yeah, I think what Manchester United have done in the last, well, they haven't won the league in six years, so since Ferguson... 
what they've tried to do is they've they initially went well we're still big we're still brilliant come to us and it worked for a bit uh, in terms of attracting stars those stars didn't work out and then as the reputation became more damaged more tainted and it became longer and longer since the league title they, they started going oh but we'll pay more and that is really I think symptomatic of this current side that we've seen where unfortunately too many pampered prima donnas that will not really put a proper shift in not like we're used to seeing and you, you talk about you know all the legends that you, you round off those Liverpool team think of the, the characteristics those players had that made them winners and think of the, the Man United team of the 90s and the noughties that, that made them just unbeatable for uh, for now on two decades and and now you look at this team and you think they have a very weak underbelly um, they, they struggle in front of goal they've lost 10 games this season Like you, you can make all the excuses you want I suppose and say well if they'd have lost 3 or 4 less against those small sides that embarrassed them over the course of the year the Huddersfields, the Cardiffs they actually could have finished in the top 4 but Man United don't finish top or don't celebrate finishing top four historically. That was the old sort of jibe that Paul Scholes made, wasn't it? That Arsenal celebrate top four, and maybe that isn't a fair comment, but that's what Man United hold themselves to. So how does he fix it? First of all, he holds a fire seal, I think, and and, and tries to get rid of quite a few um, people that are maybe clogging up the wage bill and not overly contributing on the pitch. Alexis Sanchez um, is probably one of those. Um, I think the Cardiff goal scorer yesterday, Mendes Lang, has now scored more goals at Old Trafford this season than Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> How can that be the case? It is incredible. You know, and I know Sanchez is apparently on about £350,000 a week and he left Arsenal to go to United. He could have gone to City. Boy, did we dodge a yeah. bullet there. I, I'm, 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 You know, good luck to Sanchez, whatever he does in the future, but United are going to have to try and get rid of him. But more importantly, Pogba, do they try and get rid of him or do they build the team around Pogba? Can they, can they recreate Pogba, who is an outstanding player but just seems to this season be very lazy? That is the massive question. And I think, to be honest, the decision, Frank, that Solskjaer takes, if indeed it's going to be Solskjaer, because Man United have appointed Mike Phelan as the, the permanent assistant manager now, so in many ways it feels like they said these are our two. So if that is the case, and there's not some dramatic turnaround after yesterday's embarrassment, um, the decision whether they basically sack her back Pogba is going to make or break them and their tenure at Manchester United I think because you're right he does have a lot of quality he's Manchester United's top goal scorer for the season he's leading in their assists as well so clearly there's something there but Pogba if you need if you have a midfield that doesn't track back doesn't tackle doesn't retain possession well you don't need Paul Pogba in there because he is not going to add to that you know, he, he benefited in the Juventus team previously that were so good on the ball and had all the players to win it back and feed it to him and then he could basically add a bit of colour to the play and, and pick out that final pass. But at the moment, he doesn't have anyone to give it to to score the goals and he doesn't have anyone getting the back to give it to him. So he looks a little useless. So either Man United bring in those players because he is the ultimate luxury player. You know, the we, we come back to that old phrase, he's the ultimate luxury player and uh, Man United can't afford many luxuries at the moment because they are bang average. Can they? Just seriously, and I'm not downing on Man United here because I much prefer when Man United and City are going toe-to-toe. It was no fun when City were way behind, even in the wrong league to play Man mm-hmm. United. When they were toe-to-toe in recent years, it was great crack. Uh, if United do start to, to, to slip, you know, it could be bad for the, Prem- the Premier League. How do they attract players? How are they going to get the players, the crucial players, considering the, the, those top stars are more likely 
to wish to play for Guardiola or, or Klopp or another European manager? I don't know that they need to necessarily sign stars, and I think that's part of what they've got wrong, to be honest, in recent times. You know, Fergie didn't go around signing stars, and, and I think Man United fans need to be careful not to be too romantic about how Fergie did it, because he's gone, you know, and now there's another manager and there's another way. But they probably have to look at bringing in talented young players and, and building them up, because let's look at Pep Guardiola for a moment. You know, how many people listening today really knew much about Bernardo Silva? And yet he's been sensational. You know, Leroy Sané has barely had a kick. Kevin De Bruyne has been out injured, uh, what, half the season. Fernandinho's been out injured. And yet, despite these 18, 12-week injuries, they've had lots of other talented young players coming through. And the emergence of Phil Foden, even just to supplement the squad, has been a lovely, you know, tale of what they've been able to achieve. Whereas... I think Manchester United, okay, we know they've got Rashford and Lingard, but uh, maybe bringing in some other talented young players from around Europe that don't cost 80 million, 100 million, will give them a little bit more time to develop um, rather than being almost strangled by a price tag the minute you arrive in with the expectation that Man United have. Because Man United, whether they're you know, challenging for league titles or struggling uh, just about to qualify for the Europa League, the fans still expect them to be the team of a few years ago. So that's the, the realistic pressure. I mean, Solskjaer came in saying how talented these players are and how much they can do, and they're going through a bad patch. And his, his interview yesterday pretty much said, I've changed my mind, they're rotten. So there, there needs to be a change in personnel. And I, I personally think, rather than trying to blow the bank on a, a whole new squad, they, they need to be smart with their investments for the first time. And, and maybe some scrutiny needs to be be put on Ed Woodward because as great as all the commercial deals around Manchester United are commercially in terms of what they're paying for players how much sense has that made how good have they been in the transfer market their involvement with super agents how clever has that been I don't know I think more scrutiny needs to be paid uh, to Ed Woodward personally and I wonder how long he can survive if Man United's you know uh, Man United continues to plummet in the stock market and things like that. Uh, unfortunately, all the things that football fans are uh, now, even though they're not interested with, they're aware of. But um, yeah, I, I think investing in young players from around Europe and, and trying to find a few bargain buys is probably the way to go and try build the team up and build a team yeah. instead of having a, a squad of stars and individuals who clearly don't gel. Absolutely, absolutely. And we wish them, we do wish them well because the, the stronger the league is, the, the better it is for, for everyone. Just very, very briefly, Michael, Chris Hutton uh, sacked this morning. There would be a queue of clubs wanting to employ the Brighton manager, very good manager. Yeah, I think so. And I think he's been unlucky. Um, he, he's very popular within the game. Um, you know, other managers speak highly of him and he seems to be a, a player's manager in many ways. So I don't think he'll be out of the game too long. And that just is is one of the sad things in football. I, I often wonder what clubs really expect. And I know fans can get upset about form and where they go and everything like that. But it is a... It's such a highly competitive league, and we we have seen that. Um, so no, I think Chris Hutton will be back uh, in the not too distant future. But okay. I mean, you could even look closer to home and, and see examples of that happening in the Irish league. And some Korean fans listening today might be going, "We wanted to give our manager more time, and Rodney McGarry's looking for his next club." So um, football is a, a strange game, and, and quite often it isn't a fair one. 
totally. Michael Clark, football commentator, thank you very much. Good morning. Some of you are asking me why I so readily dismiss Scottish football. And to be honest, I have to say, I have to completely admit that it's from a position of ignorance. I, I, I I'm open my hands wide when I, I say this. I know very little about Scottish football. I've seen an odd game. It's, I'm sure, exciting if you follow one of the Scottish teams, but it looks to me like football that would be similar to championship or Division 1 football in England. It it doesn't grab me by the lapels and say, gosh, I want to watch this. The same way that I like watching City or Liverpool or Arsenal or Chelsea or United or Spurs. You know, to watch that sort of football or to watch Barcelona or Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain, you know, you think, whoa, this is incredibly entertaining. This is the top-notch display of skill. So I love football. I've seen nothing on the odd occasion that I've watched Scottish football to make me think, whew, I have to see more of this. And I add to it, the two teams you're most likely to follow in Scotland are Celtic and Rangers. And again, with my hand up and admitting to ignorance, I've never been to Glasgow. I don't know what it's like to be at a Glasgow Celtic Rangers game or a Rangers Glasgow Celtic game. But I don't see anything on TV that makes me want to go to one of them. When I see the imagery of a big Celtic home match or I see the imagery of a big Rangers home match, I see politics, I see hatred, I see bigotry, I see sectarianism. That's what I see. Now, I'm open to guidance from those of you who do go if there's anything other than that. I'm sure, I'm sure many a time there's a cracking goal and there's great excitement and your team wins because I do understand football. But I'm not drawn in any way to the two top teams in Scotland. And it's a pity, but that's maybe it's because I'm from Northern Ireland and I know what bigotry and hatred's all about. So I see that in Scottish football. Am I right or is it oversold by the media, that element of it? Because remember, I've never been to one of the games and I've never even been, some admission, but I've never even been to Glasgow. Now, I notice from what you're saying today that, and, and, and yesterday, by the way, you're spoiled for choice. You know, you could have been watching City against Brighton. You could be watching Liverpool against Wolves. You could have had a wonderful afternoon going off to Oma to watch Derry play Tyrone. You know, you didn't have to be drawn to the only thing that was on Celtic against Rangers. So the chances of me wanting to see the Celtic Rangers match or to even check to see who won it were like almost nil. And then I hear today that there was despicable singing at the match about two recently deceased members of the Lisbon Lions. The Lisbon Lions iconic football team from back in the 1960s that won the European Cup for the first time. Two of them died. Uh, Billy McNeil died. And Chalmers died as well, didn't he? Wasn't he the, the second player to die who scored that, who scored that day? He d- died during the course of, within a week of each other. And they, apparently, I'm not going to say the Rangers fans, I'm going to say some Rangers fans or some people at the game who were wearing Rangers colours sang the Lisbon Lions won't see 10 in a row because they're dead. You know, what sort of people are they who sing like that? And I'm darn sure, going by, going by what I hear from games at Paradise as well, 
I, you know, similar chanting would happen at the other side if it was Celtic who were the dominant numbers in the crowd. So I'm not, I'm not drawn to that. I, 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 I just find that appalling. And if that's what happened yesterday, people ask me, why, why am I not criticising it? I didn't know anything about it. I've no interest in it. But now that you've informed me that it was a hate fest, um, sorry, but um, you know I, I, that I didn't know, I'm roundly condemning it, if that's the way it was. If, if people are there in the crowd singing about iconic sporting heroes who recently died, it's despicable, it's, dis- it's disgusting. So that's uh, really all that I can, I can say on it. Uh, 02890-3105-077-66105-105. Joanne has a point she wants to make. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I was at, I, I, I have a young boy who's 11 who plays for his local team. Um, I don't often get to see him because I work at the weekends, but he had a cup match on Saturday at Seaview, which I was able to attend. And there was quite a, there was quite a good crowd there, like his granddad came down, his uncle came down, nephews came down to watch him. But there was really, really, really bad language from the crowd at a match with 11-year-olds on the pitch. Um, there was officials on the pitch. They were getting called all the bad language of the day. There was a girl who was doing the lines. She was a lines person. She was being called all the names under the sun. And it was really, really intimidating. Um, I personally at one stage was actually going to leave because I felt quite intimidated. And a few people did sort of stand up and sort of say to the gentleman involved, listen, can you please keep the language clean? These are 11-year-old boys. Only for them then to get sort of shouted at and sort of put down. So this is sort of going on at the grassroots of youth football. And it's really, 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 really bad. Yeah, but this is one bloke. You're, you're, I got the impression that no. this was chanting from the crowd. This is one foul-mouthed ogre yeah, that's in the crowd. There was... Yeah, no, there was there was probably I would say I was there was a small group of guys, I would say there's maybe six, seven of them and they were shouting the F word, the B word, the C word and it was like quite off putting. I was sitting with my daughter in front of a couple of guys and they were just generally talking about football generally. And they were using bad language, so I sort of moved, me and my daughter moved sort of down to the front again. And then as the match got underway, a few, um, the referee had made a few decisions that maybe went against one team or another team. And then it just started, the bad language, just shouting on the pitch, the calling of the names of the referees, the lines person came under quite a lot of abuse. And then, as I say, a few people in the crowd did stand up. Ladies were there and said, listen, guys, please, watch your language. And then they got sort of sworn at and told to sit down and shut up. And it was really, really intimidating. And as I say, this is a football at an 11-year-old. Who was playing? What were the teams that were playing? Well... It was played at Seaview, Frank. There was quite a lot of matches. Matches, I, I don't... I oh, so don't it's like a little festival of football with a lot of 11-year-olds playing in short, short games. And as I say, yes, my son was in a cup match, you know, so I think there was quite a... I think, now, it was the South Belfast League. I think that was the league that it was in. And were there any Stuarts? Were there any Stuarts there in high-vis jackets? Well, that's what I... 
that's what I was going to ask, Frank, because I didn't see any stewards. There was a side, there was a lines person who was a female, there was a referee, there was also two guys who were giving out the trophies, but there was nobody on the stands, there was no steward sort of um, that I could see, and as I say, it did get quite volatile. That's uh, very, very disappointing to, to hear, Joanne. Very well described. Maybe the next time that something's been run at uh, Seaview, they'll keep a closer eye on a few loudmouths. And it's only a few who need firmly spoken to by people in high-vis jackets or ejected from the stadium. And shame on you if you were the guys who spoiled that. What sounds like a wonderful family day out, well organised at Seaview up to a point, a wonderful family day out, uh, spoiled by morons. Richard's on line one. Good morning, Richard. Uh, good morning, Frank. How are we this morning? Very well, Richard. You were listening to our discussion about abuse that people give even kids at football matches. I was listening to it and uh, it took me back to whenever I was playing rugby. I've retired now. Um, I was fortunate enough to be involved in the Ulster setup um, in their youth setup. And I played alongside Catholics and Protestants and the boys turned up in their Gaelic shirts and their Rangers shirts. But no matter who they were, what side they were from, when we pulled on an Ulster shirt, you were together. You know, there was no, it didn't matter why you're Protestant or Catholic. Um, and again, when we went down to Dublin to watch rugby as well, Protestants and Catholics and everybody got on like a house on fire. And I do think it's a lot to do with maybe the players in the football and their attitudes and their lack of respect towards uh, referees and etc. Starts from there. But do you do you think do you think that because there's two separate issues here? There's there's the yep. abuse being shouted like the thugs who were at Seaview the other the other day and the kids playing. And then there's the sectarianism yep. that we were talking about that was to the fore in the old firm game at, at, at Ibrox. The, the point you were making about everyone playing together there seemed to be a, a great panacea for sectarianism. You're going to, you know, get through rugby without that being a, a problem whatsoever. Yep. But then you said that in football, the behaviour of the players and their lack of respect leads to the shouting. I... I agree with you up to a point that the lack of respect from the players and their shouting at the referee and shouting at other managers and shouting at, at, at other members of the, the opposition leads to the fans being abusive as in using foul language to the assistant referee or the bench. But I don't agree. I don't agree that the behaviour of players ever leads to sectarianism. It, it doesn't lead to that, but as a culture and as an atmosphere, if you have players shouting and spitting and uh, cursing at referees and officials, like if you watch a rugby match, you have two men, maybe six foot eight and 19 stone, turn over a referee, and uh, they'll still address them as sir. They'll do as the referee tells, says. There's nobody, there's no disrespect whatsoever. And just as a game, there's a culture of being together. There, there, you could, um, it doesn't matter why you're Protestant or Catholic. It's a, a very much, uh, it's about the sports. It's not about religion when you're being involved in it. Yeah, I, I, again, I agree with you up to a point. I think we can all learn from the discipline of rugby. There's no question on the respect for the referee. But I think, you know, 
15 rugby players out on a field don't give a hoot who's Protestant, who's Catholic. But 11 soccer players out in the field don't give a hoot who's Catholic and who's Protestant. 11 Gaelic players out in the field don't give a hoot about Catholics or Protestants. The, the actual players on the field... I firmly believe, do not have any sectarianism within them. It's the fans of some of the soccer matches that bring that to the to the party. And do you not think, but uh, on the pitch, if you ever watched one of the games, that uh, there's a lot more bad-natured tackles and uh, a lot more cursing and shouting between players. That, that doesn't really, you know, it gets the, fa- the fans r- riled up at each other. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. They do get the fans riled, there's, doubtlessly. But I'm not convinced that there's any sectarianism on the field of play. Yes, there's bad manners, there's disrespect for referees, there's abusive, abusive language. But I don't see the link between sectarianism in soccer and the players and the lack of sectarianism in rugby. And the players. I, I think uh, I, I, I do see the link between the discipline of the players in rugby and the good behaviour of the players towards the referee and the respect that the fans have in rugby. I think we can learn a lot from rugby, but I, I, I'm not going to blame soccer players for sectarianism. I, I think sectarianism is a problem in society that is brought to the stadium, large or small, by the people and not not by not by the players. Do you get where I'm coming from on that, Richard? Oh, I definitely do. It's just, I was just given my experience of playing rugby 30 years uh, in different countries and different places uh, alongside people of different religions. And religion never, never came into the sport whatsoever. And and, and 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 full marks to rugby because we can without doubt learn learn from rugby. I, I, I agree entirely with you on on that, Richard. In the sunshine, this is the U one hundred and five phone in. Frank has been patiently waiting. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. Very well. What's on your mind? It's Frank. I wanted to take issue with you. I've never been on the radio before, but I was driving my car and I heard some of your comments regarding the, the Celtic and Rangers and the equivalence you were making between what came out of the stands at Ibrox yesterday and the Celtic supporters. Now, Frank, as you say yourself, you've never been to Glasgow. You've never been to a match. But to equivocate the Celtic support with, and it wasn't one or two, by the way, this was thousands who were spewing this hatred from the stands at Ibrox yesterday about the death of the two of the Lisbon lads. I have to have, have, have a word with you, Frank, because that wasn't on well, just for for people for people who didn't hear what I said, uh, let me remind let me remind uh, yourself, Frank, but also probably more importantly, people who'd be listening for the for the first time who maybe missed a, a, the program a little earlier. I I I more or less said that I was spoiled for choice yesterday in relation to sports events, and I wasn't drawn to the old firm game because I have allowed. Scottish football to go past me to some extent. I I glaze over whenever I hear about Scottish football because I, in my ignorance, and these are the words I used, I said, in my ignorance, I base my theories on what happens at old firm games, on what I read in the media or what I hear on the likes of YouTube and so on and so forth. So I'm not drawn to that cauldron which 
very often seems to involve hatred and sectarianism. I'm darn sure there's brilliant football played. I'm darn sure, and I emphasise this as I emphasise this earlier as well, that there are fans who are without doubt there to enjoy the football, and that's the reason that they're there. But time and time and time again, we hear about the hatred, the sectarianism, the the vile nature of how one set of fans treats the other set of fans, whether it's at Ibrox or at Celtic at Celtic Park. That's what comes across to me as someone who's not only been never been to Ibrox or Celtic Park. Park, I've never been to Glasgow. That's where I'm coming from on it, and I see two cauldrons where hatred exists in both stadiums. Right. Are you finished, my friend? Uh-huh. Just so that's, that's clearing that up for, for people who are joining us late. And I understand you have a brand to, to protect here because that's what you've got to do. But you've also got to face the truth, man. You, you, have to tell, you have to call it as you see it, no matter what side of the fence you're on. If Celtic supporters were coming out and spewing that sort of nonsense yesterday, I'd be the first to move out of the stand. I'm from a mixed background. I wouldn't sit and listen to sectarian abuse being spilled out from a stand where I'd be sitting in. Now, not this here, one's as bad as the other, nothing. That's not true. That stadium yesterday was bouncing with the Billy Boys. They were glorifying the death of two sporting icons. And you can't try to say, well, one's as bad as the other. Thing. You have to call it as you see it. As you say, you've never been there. So, I suggest you go with some cases as well, but if well, well, Frank, let, let me let me because you're you're helping me here. You're helping you're helping me here. I haven't been to, to either stadium. I have roundly condemned anyone from Glasgow Rangers who chanted yesterday about the death of the of Stevie Chalmers or Billy McNeil. Anyone who chanted anyone who chanted about the death of the Lisbon Lions is despicable and disgusting. I've already said that. And I'm saying it again. I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, I'm I d- one or two, but okay, okay. But th- this is important. You, you're you're now painting a picture, Frank. And again, I haven't been there. You are now painting a picture that if I go to Ibrox, I will hear very possibly a considerable number of people chanting something that would be vile to anyone who would be affected in any way by sectarianism who would feel sectari- who, would, who would get a sense that sectarianism was unacceptable so right minded people would be offended if they were at Ibrox yesterday that's that's what you that's what you're saying isn't it aren't you Frank, what I'm saying is I'm not taking a picture. Look at the facts. Every home game, they sing up to their knees and sing their blood okay, okay. and I'm not saying you're wrong I'm not saying you're wrong but I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you the question. Here is the question, because I've never been to Celtic Park. Do Celtic fans sing pro-IRA songs? Pro-IRA songs are not sectarian songs. Frank, 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 hold on, hold on. Pro-IRA, Frank, Frank, pro-IRA songs. Frank, listen, I've got to call it as it is. Pro-IRA songs are sectarian. Irish Republican songs are sectarian, is that what you're telling me? The first Irish Republicans were Presbyterians. Wolf Tone was a Presbyterian. Do you know how many Presbyterians were, were, were Irish Republicans? Thank you. Look at history here, come on. Frank, you can chat away to your heart's content because I don't have to intervene when you're speaking like that. 
what tone you tell me is the sectarian? Anything to do with what tone? I'm telling you that pro IRA songs are sectarian. I, I, I listen to what you're saying about pro I, I don't stand over that either. And I would be moving from the stand if that was the case. Now, that is out of order, what was going on yesterday. Now, you're trying to bring the Celtic support into it, which is completely and utterly wrong. The, the email you got today asked you to, to address the hate test. Now, you, you quickly moved away from that. And that's where my issue is. No, I quickly moved away from what? Sorry, you, you broke up with me a little. I quickly moved away from what? From what somebody called the hate fest. That's what the email somebody wrote to you about the hate fest that I brought. Now, you moved away to equivocate and bring Celtic Park into it. Yeah, yeah, listen, listen, I, I, absolutely. The the person who was in touch with us this morning was complaining about a hate fest at Ibrox. And I'm saying, in my ignorance, I've never been to Ibrox, I've never been to Celtic Park, I've never been to Glasgow, but I get the sense that it's a hate fest regardless of which stadium you happen to be at whenever Rangers are playing Celtic. That's, that's, the, that's the point that I'm making. So if Rangers, the next time the <clears throat> Rangers are playing Celtic at Celtic Park, I'm asking you... Will there be any pro IRA songs sung by Celtic fans directed towards the Rangers fans who are in the ground? Well, quite possibly. Yeah, but well, that's the, this, is, this is where we this is where we have to have the difference between sectarianism and uh, IRA songs. Yeah, Frank. As I say, you know, you've laid your cards on the table. You've. Um, described yesterday at Ibrox as a hate fest, sectarian hate fest, the uh, belittling of people who are, are, are dead. I agree with you. That is a hate fest. But I also clearly say that the victims of the IRA should not be treated as second-class citizens by Celtic fans during a football match. I have never, in all the years I've been going to Glasgow Celtic, heard of victims of IRA terrorism being treated as second-class citizens. Well, have you ever heard Ooh Ah Up The Ra or other songs of a similar similar slant? I hear that when I walk into Belfast and pubs and I will walk out of them as well. That's nonsense. That's pretty. Most of them wouldn't know what's going on uh, and anything about the trouble. The sort of people who sing that sort of stuff, you wouldn't get eyes to publicans singing that sort of gear. You know, I'm, 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 I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure before the end of this programme, I will have a collection, a list of songs that people sing at Celtic Park that would be inappropriate at any other sports ground. Get me a list of me. I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy to draw up the songs that people find offensive that are sung by Celtic fans and that people find offensive sung by Rangers fans. I'm more than happy to to set the 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 wheels in the wheels in motion to try and eradicate eradicate the excuse me eradicate those songs. Absolutely. And rightly so. Sectarianism has no place in football. Now, I, I have no problem standing over that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit beside someone who was doing that sort of stuff. How they stood in that ground and listened to that yesterday? Beyond belief. And it wasn't, as you say, it wasn't one or two. This was stands of people singing it. And but we're used to it because the press don't address it. They sing the Billy Boys every single day at Ibrox Park. Every time that stadium's open, that's the... Go to song. 
Okay, okay. You've painted a picture of what it's like at Ibrox, and I'm not going to argue with you. Frank, uh, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I want to speak to a man who does go to Ibrox, and he's on the line, and he regularly contributes to the programme, and he would be seen as a guy who's pretty fair-minded in his analysis, but I'll give him a, a, a leathern too if he argues back with me. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Frank. How are you doing? I'm very well, Gary. Uh, I just want to ask you want to ask you very, very basic questions. Have you ever been to Ibrox? Yes, I have indeed. Have you ever been to Celtic Park? I haven't, have indeed, Frank. Okay, so this is good. You are a Rangers fan? Yes. Okay, this is just for people who are joining us late and who aren't familiar with, with who you are. Is Frank right? Do they sing up to your neck and Fenian blood the Billy Boys at Ibrox on a regular basis? Yes, they do. Okay. Do they at Celtic Park sing pro-IRA songs, including Ooh Ah, Up the Ra, and other IRA songs, which I will be able to get a list of that people have suggested to me that are sung? Remember, I've never been to either of the stadia. Do they sing them? Yes, they do. <laughs> Man, my point would be, Frank, now, um, I've heard you on it and... This is a section, of, a section of both clubs has this problem. I mean, I like to be fair-minded, and as I would have been at the game yesterday, only, only I'd have been off work, and back at work today, I'd have been off work sick, and I hadn't said it happened during the week that I couldn't go. At half-time yesterday, a mate of mine, a Celtic fan, rang me from the new lodge, and we discussed the match. So we did. But I don't know what Stan Frank's sitting on his park head. So I don't, because I have admitted there's a problem at Ibrox, and it's a problem that Rangers are trying to eradicate. And there's also a problem at Parkhead, which Celtic are trying to eradicate. You see the song that was signed yesterday, and I totally condemn anyone mocking the death of anyone, be it an IRA man who has a family left behind, or be it a Celtic player or a UVF man who also has a family left behind. I always think of the family and not the individual. But as a sportsman, any de- anybody mapping the death of any sportsman or any individual is totally wrong. But do you see the version of the song that was being sang yesterday? It's about ten in a row. The Celtic version of it, and don't take my word for this, it's been on the news all week in Scotland. Scottish Sun reported it. The Celtic version of it is about Lee Rigby drumming, and it's constantly sang at Celtic Park, and it was sang by a young Celtic fan, sadly, who wouldn't have been probably old enough to realise what he was singing about during the week, and that's reported on the, on the internet in the Scottish Sun. Also, Frank needs to take a wee heart back to last season, and Celtic fans hanging effigies over the, over the blow-up blow dolls with Ranger scarfs on them, their hands tied behind their back, um, hanging them over the, over the stand. That was days after um, an ex-Rangers player, Chris Boyd, brother, had took his own life. So the, the, it's a big, big problem for both clubs. But for someone to come on and try to direct it at one club only, only makes the problem as bad, if not worse. Until both clubs and both sets of fans realise there's an element within each club pushing this and ruining it for good fans who can't get on together. Now, I will not for one minute agree with the guy that rang me yesterday and other guys who I speak to on the phone who's big Celtic fans about a game. I mean, that game yesterday, two of us, when we spoke, were watching two entirely different matches. But what I will do, I will call him as a friend. I would call, and I would, I'd be glad to call him as a friend. So, and I would argue the point, when they would bring that up to me yesterday, I would bring that back to them. And the two of us sit and agree. And any time we're talking that the problem is there for both clubs. But Frank, just before I go on, it's not only, I mean, the, the hatreds are, and it's labelled as sectarianism in Scotland, but 
See if you go outside Glasgow, you know, they hate it during the game too. I'll take you to the Man United and Liverpool support, who both chant about the Munich air disaster and, and, and Heysel and, and, and Sheffield Wednesday. You know, when you go to Spurs and Arsenal, they're ch- chanting about, about the Yids and, and the Jews. And, and you know, it, it's, it's a problem for football as a whole, but it's able to sectarian in Scotland, quite rightly so. But the problems there, and anybody to come on, including Frank, who says that, that, that it doesn't go on at Celtic Park as it does go on at Abrax. It's, it's just, I don't know what stand he was sitting in. Okay. So I honestly don't. It, it amazes me. Okay, uh, Gary, uh, th- thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, in the argument between, or in the discussion today about this, I am, you know, I'm closer to what Gary's analysis is than I am to Frank's because Gary's accepting that there's a problem in both stadia and there's unacceptable things happening within both crowds and that's the main reason that I'm not drawn to Scottish football that's how the conversation uh, started by the way if anyone from the Jewish community in is in any way offended by the use of a word beginning with Y that was used conversationally by by Gary I, I apologise right it's, it's just gone 20 planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 